So we're starting uh, to finish our discipleship um, series, the target of village discipleship. And Keith mentioned guests and mentioned guests coming on into the church and being part of the church. And if you're a guest here this morning, let me just be right up front with you. Here's what we want to have happen to you as you become part of Lord willing, a village Bible church. First, we want you to discover Jesus Christ. And that's part of our discipleship model. That first and foremost, as we begin to encounter people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we ask them to uh, become a Christian, to become a disciple. That they would commit themselves to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That they would see their sin, repent and turn from their sin, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at our discipleship model as a church, here's the number one thing that we start off with, with discovering disciples. And so we want you to discover Jesus Christ. If you're a guest here this morning, maybe you've been here for a long time and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we would want you to discover the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Come and put your faith and trust in him and be saved. And so we talked about this for a, a, a week, a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we talked about developing disciples. So once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to grow you up in the faith, make you a mature follower of Christ. We love our kids, don't we? Our kids are beautiful, and, and, and I look back on pictures, and time goes so fast, and it's kind of sad to see them go from so little to now they're in school, and they're growing up, and they're changing, and I think back to those days when they were little, and that was precious times, but uh, if we really are honest, we wouldn't want them to stay that little, would we? Because if they're staying that little, uh, there's a problem. Uh, we want them to grow. It's the same with a Christian. If someone comes and they call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, they are called to grow. And they are called to develop their faith and their walk with Christ. And that's why we exist as a church. The second part of our discipleship model is to develop disciples. And that's why we have places where you can connect with other people, small groups we've talked about, uh, equipping you classes on, on Sunday nights, we want to be discipling and developing our, our young disciples too at Awana and children's ministry, student ministries. And so we are committed in our discipleship process to develop deeper disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we come to the third and final one this morning, deploying disciples, deploying uh, disciples. What does it mean to be deployed? What's one of the first things that comes to your mind when you hear the word Deployed. Military, you think of that, and rightly so. Uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary says deployed is to organize and send out people or things to be used for a particular purpose. And so when you think of a deployment, you think of a soldier being sent out somewhere else for a purpose. They're organized and sent out for a purpose. When we talk about a, a disciple being deployed, then we're talking about a follower of Jesus Christ who has been developed and is being developed, but then now is sent out for a purpose. And we have scriptural mandate for this all over the place. Uh, first, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, at, at the end of his ministry, after the resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, in Matthew 28, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus' final command to us and to his disciples is to go and make other disciples, to be deployed, to go. 
Now, to go can mean a bunch of different things. It can mean to go overseas, as we have missionaries here with us this morning. It can be to go to your backyard and your workplace. Uh, the, the deployment is not necessarily about the place, but it's about the activity. And the activity is bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are lost. And that is a disciple's responsibility. 1 John 4 Verse 13 says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. We've seen it, disciples, and now we testify that Jesus is the savior of the world. That's why Paul can write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to go out with this message of the gospel, to proclaim Jesus Christ, and that's actually the way that the kingdom grows is through disciples who are deployed. Down throughout history, we have many examples of those who have been deployed. I think of probably the most famous missionary, uh, the Apostle Paul himself, who according to the New Testament um, had planted 14 churches we have record of. Now it's probably over the 20 mark, um, but what we have record in the New Testament is of at least 14 churches uh, that he planted. And we read about some of the things that he faced during his time as a missionary, as a disciple who has been deployed. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. You look at this list, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. We're gonna take a little while here in the beginning to get going, but I promise you, once we get going, we're gonna get rolling, okay? But I wanna lay a foundation of why we are deployed and what we do when we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 23, the second part, Paul says this, I am more, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. How was your week this past week? The Apostle Paul was deployed, and on his deployment, on this gospel work of calling people to, to faith in Jesus Christ, he faced great hardship. Hudson Taylor, a missionary of 100 years ago, he's the most widely used missionary in China's history. During his 51 years of service, his China Inland Mission established 20 mission stations, brought 850 missionaries to the field, trained some 700 Chinese workers, raised $4 million by faith, a lot of money 
back then, and developed a witnessing Chinese church of 125,000. It has been said that at least 35,000 Chinese were converts of his, and that he baptized some 50,000. There you see him dressed in the garb of the Chinese, and he went to the people, and he demanded of the missionaries that came with him as well that they would take on the appearance and the language and the culture of the Chinese, but that they would deliver clearly the message of the gospel, which is unchanging through Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor, he says this, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. He wrote, the stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything, and at every time, even life itself must be secondary. This proved true for Hudson Taylor. He had a grueling work pace. Despite poor health and bouts with depression, he worked harder and harder to reach China for Jesus Christ. In 1900, it became too much. He had a complete physical and mental breakdown. The personal cost of Taylor's vision was high on his family as well. His wife Maria died at the age of 33, and four out of his eight kids didn't make it to 10 years old. His quote, remember, even life itself must be secondary. Deployed disciple of Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott was a missionary uh, to the Aka Indians in the jungle, jungles of Ecuador. Um, really just a pioneering work along with four others. They were starting to witness to a totally unreached people group by every outsider and something went wrong and on a beach where their plane had landed these five were put to the spear and killed. He says this, Jim Elliot, you probably heard this quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is serious business to be deployed. And this is the business that we're in at Village Bible Church. We're, we're wanting to discover, develop disciples, but we don't stop there. We don't stop in the pews. We don't stop with just receiving more and more and more, but yet we want to send out missionaries in our backyard and around the world. I think of a guy who doesn't have a picture online that I couldn't find, but Peter Gunderson, my high school youth pastor, who invested into my life and showed me what it was to follow Jesus Christ. He was deployed as a disciple and he made a difference in my life and in the lives of many other young people. So as we go today to our text, I wanna put some heaviness upon you as you think and you asked yourself this question, is God calling you to go and I'll beat you to the punch? The answer is yes and have you answered the call. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for your word today. Lord, I ask that you would uh, speak to us through it. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. I, I got nothing in myself, God, and I just ask that you would come and you would um, weigh heavily on our hearts in places where you want us to respond, and that through your mercy and grace, you would give us the strength to respond. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, in this time there would be decisions made even for eternity that would impact your kingdom as we are deployed here.
and around the world. So we give you thanks, Lord Jesus. It's for your beautiful name we pray this. Amen. Our text this morning is in Romans uh, chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to be in the whole chapter, even though it's not going to be expository preaching. We can't do uh, 21 verses together this morning. Um, but, but we can see what is being taught and apply it to this idea of um, being deployed, okay? And so Romans chapter 12, you have the strength. Let's stand as we read together. Romans chapter 12, start at verse one. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, we thank you for your word today. And may you use it to change us for our good and your glory. Amen. Please be seated. So let's start here. Number one. Disciples are deployed to be different. Disciples are deployed to be different. You see this right away. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So do not be conformed. Disciples are deployed to be different from the world. 
You're sent out with a purpose. Remember what deployment means? You're sent out with a purpose and an activity, and part of that difference, or that activity, is to be different from the rest of the world. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, one of the, uh, my favorite examples of this is Daniel. Uh, turn to Daniel chapter one. Daniel and his friends, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel chapter one, we see the story of Daniel and his friends and what happens to them uh, when the Israelites, who they are part of the nation of Israel, gets taken over by the Babylonians. And we read that in the first two verses that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem and he lays waste to the city. He conquers Jerusalem. And the Babylonians were some of the most fierce and gruesome people on the planet. Historically, in the history of our planet, the Babylonians were some of the toughest, meanest, but also smart, conquering peoples in the world. And here's why they were so good at what they did. They would go in and lay waste to a city and to a country. They would put the heads of the people that opposed them all around the city gates. And then they would take the best and the brightest of who was left and they'd bring them into Babylon to be trained up as a Babylonian. We see this what happened after um, Israel's taken over, verse three, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So he's got Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he, they're being brought into the king's palace, and they're some of the best of the best. They're some of the brightest of the nation of Israel. So what's he gonna do with the best and brightest of these people that he conquered and he wiped out? What is he gonna do with their best and their brightest? He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So you see these three smart, uh, tough, strong, handsome, filled with ability young men are brought in, what are they, 15, 16, 17 years old. Their families have been wiped out. Now they're brought into the king's palace and here's how they're asked to conform. Here's what's forced upon them. First, the ideology of the Babylonians, the ideology of the Babylonians. See, they were to learn the language and literature. So they're gonna learn the history of Babylon. They're gonna learn from the Babylonian perspective about the nation of Israel, which wasn't a very good perspective. They're gonna learn the language of the Babylonians and hopefully forget their own native tongue. And then, secondly, not only ideology was forced upon them, but also Idolatry. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This is idolatry for Daniel, Shadrach, and uh, uh, Daniel and his three friends, okay? It's idolatry because the food was sacrificed to idols. It's some of the best choice food, but it's been sacrificed to, to idols, and this was against uh, the Jewish law. And so they were being 
asked to conform. The world, the culture was forming them into a certain image. First, changing their ideology, how they see the world. Second, having them commit adultery and go against their God and what they knew to be right. And then thirdly, they were given a new identity. You see the names there. I won't read them again. Um, It's interesting, though. We know Daniel by his Hebrew name, but we know his three friends by their Babylonian name. Isn't that interesting? I don't know the reason for that. I just thought it was interesting. Now, they're being pressed into conform uh, with the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were so good. So they'd teach these young men. They'd have them committing adultery and forget about their God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They changed their name, have them forget their identity of who they are. And then when they're fully trained and fully conformed, then they send them back to their home country to pass on now the Babylonian way of life and culture. This is why the Babylonians ruled the the known world because they were so good at it. But even though we don't face the Babylonians today, we face just as strong of an enemy that is wanting to conform us to the pattern of this world. It's the culture in which we live. And we might stay behind closed doors, we might have home schools or our own Christian schools, but there's nothing that you can do to insulate yourself from the pressure of the world and the culture in which we live. Now let me give you a lighthearted example, okay? Let me see if you can finish this song for me, okay? I'm gonna call on you, y'all, do it if you can, okay? Call United Auto Insurance, seven seven three two zero two five thousand. You're not very worldly. Good job, yeah. <laughs> wow, we got you covered, Chicago. Let me try one more. Okay, five eight eight two three hundred. <laughs> There's the worldliness right there. <laughs> okay, so. That's kind of funny, we, we hear jingles and it gets in our heads and, but here, um, loved one, hear, hear this. There are much more diabolical ways the culture is conforming us to its image and it's not into the image of Jesus Christ. It's sin. It's sin that is, number one, selfish. Sin is selfish. What do you want? What do you desire? What do you want to pursue? What don't you like? It's all about you. Sin is selfish. Sin is also satanic. It's from the enemy himself. And isn't it interesting that the devil doesn't come as a nasty looking creature. The Bible says that uh, he comes as an angel of light and it looks good. There's so much stuff that looks good in our culture and it's from the pit of hell. But we get used to it and our kids get used to it. And then it's sin is not only selfish and satanic, but it's also saturated our culture. It's saturated our land. And if you think your kids aren't impacted by their society, ask them about the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh, we don't let them watch it. Well, that's good, but I bet you they know a lot more about it than you do. Culture is seeking to conform us to the pattern of this world Disciples are deployed to be different in it. To be different. Daniel is different. 
Verse eight of Daniel chapter one, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So Daniel made a decision to make a difference. He went along with the ideology. Okay, I'll learn your language. I'll learn the literature. I'll read the books you want me to read. I'll even go along with the new name. You want to call me that name? That's fine. But I'm not going to go along with idolatry. I'm not going to go along with eating of that food and drinking of that wine that's been sacrificed to idols. It's against God Almighty. I'm not going to do it. He took a stand. That's the same thing for a disciple. We're deployed not to be conforming, but to be transformed. To be transformed. How does, how does the scriptures talk about being transformed? Help me out. Be transformed how? By? By the renewing of your mind. And that comes through God's word. Applying God's word. I think, I like to believe that that's why you're here this morning. It's not just to sing songs and to uh, have some relationship with others, even though that's great to have those, but you come to have your mind stirred, to renew your mind in the pages of scripture that the Holy Spirit would come and work in your life and work in your mind and work in your heart and ultimately change you to be more like Jesus. And that's why you're here, you're being renewed. That's why you're part of a small group because you're doing life with other disciples and you're struggling with the same issues and you're under the same pressure to conform from culture but you're in this together and you're battling together and you're encouraging one another. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Don't be conformed. Renew your mind. And then what's the result of that? Romans chapter 12, the end of verse two. What's the result of not conforming but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you will know the will of God. Man, to me, I always thought the will of God's like some, something way out there. What is God's will for me? Does he want me uh, to go through this door? Does he want me to go through this door? Does he want me to pursue this way of life? Does he want me to marry this girl? Does he want me, what does he want me to do? And see, there's no mystery with God's will in this text. When you're not conforming to the world, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you're gonna know what God's will is and you're gonna walk in it. God's will is not some mysterious path up in the sky that you gotta work hard to discover. It says you're growing as a disciple, as you're being deployed and you're making a difference in the world, God's gonna lead you down the path of his will. So disciples are deployed to be different. Secondly, disciples are deployed with diversity. Disciples are deployed with diversity. Paul goes into this section and he starts talking about different parts of the body of Christ, just like different parts of the members of your body. Each one's got a different job. He, he's used this analogy at other times. And so we all have a different role, but first, we are to be the same in one way. We're to be the same in our attitude. You see that in the text? Verse three, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So we are to be the same. Even though we're deployed with our diversity, first, we're to have the same type of attitude we're to be humble. This reflects great passage about Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter two. 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Have that attitude, disciple. So we're the same in our attitude, but we're deployed with diversity. We're deployed with these different gifts. Do you know that when you are saved, when God saves you, he gives you one or more spiritual gifts for you to use in his kingdom work, for you to use in the church. He's given you specific gifts to use. Do you know what they are? Do you know how God has gifted you? Has God gifted you with hospitality? If he has, be hospitable. Has God gifted you with mercy? Then show mercy. If God's gifted you, the list goes on and on. One of the things we have here at Village Bible Church is place ministry. And Patricia Butts kind of leads that for us. And what the place ministry does is help you to discover how God has gifted you. Actually, place stands for a number of different things. Personality discovery, learning spiritual gifts, abilities awareness, connecting passion with ministry, and experiences of life. I encourage you this morning to do the place assessment. It takes you a little while. There's lots of questions. I won't tell you how many because you get scared away, but take it online. Get a report back. It'll give you an assessment of, of where you are, personality, possibly spiritual gifts. Now, you've got to see if if it's right, and the only way that you can do that is get involved in the ministry of the church and see if God blesses the ministry that you enter in, if God blesses those areas. If you feel like you have a gift of evangelism, go out and start sharing your faith and see what happens. If you feel like you have the gift of mercy, go to a nursing home and see what God does. Place ministry. So disciples are deployed with diversity. And thirdly, disciples are deployed to make a difference. In the rest of the chapter here, we have like short bullet uh, commands uh, for a disciple. And in these verses, there are over 20 commands concerning how we are to be different from the world in order to make a difference in this world. So we are called to be different and we are different with diverse gifts, but all that for this, that we can make a difference where we're at and possibly somewhere else. First, disciples are called to make a difference in the lives of other disciples. It's verses nine through 13, roughly. Love must be sincere, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, have devotion to one another. You make a difference in this world when you get involved in other Christians' lives and you minister to them according to your gifts. And that begins with genuine love. And we have a lot of people in our church involved in this type of ministry, of loving one another with brotherly love, of giving to those in need. You see at the end, um, verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There are lots of people here who are making a difference in other believers' life, lives. 
two of the people that have been in need that we've been praying for and giving to and supporting uh, recently. We've been talking a lot about the Fatormas and, and the Jager family. And uh, next year, there'll be more families. And so many of you have um, stepped up with brotherly love and have given uh, of your time, uh, of your prayers, of your uh, finances, of gift cards, of plants, of encouragement to support these families. And I want to say, God bless you for that. You are making a difference in their lives. You are being deployed to make a difference as a disciple. But there's many also here who you haven't taken that step yet. You haven't committed to being deployed. You haven't come forth even within other believers' lives and showed people love. You're hanging back, and maybe you've been through a season of hurt, and I understand that, but you're, you're still hanging back. You're receiving a lot. You're receiving a lot of knowledge. You're receiving a lot of Bible teaching. You're receiving a lot of love from other people, but you have yet to step out. God is calling you today to go, to make a difference even in other Christians' lives. Would you do that? Would you commit it to the lives of those who are sitting around you? Disciples are deployed to make a difference in the lives of other disciples. Disciples that are deployed are also to call to make a difference in the lives of people who are not yet disciples. So we're deployed within the Christian community, then we're deployed, we're sent out to those who aren't disciples. Verse 14, we are to bless those who persecute you. Do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Trust in the Lord to take care of justice. But you don't know how many times I've prayed maybe God would let me be the instrument of his vengeance, but that's not the way it works. So we're called to make a difference in people who aren't believers. And the obvious one is coming up here. We are called to make a difference by overcoming evil with good. Verse 21, that's what it says. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil uh, with good. This really is the gospel, isn't it? It's overcoming evil with good. It's Jesus conquering sin, death, and the devil on the cross. All of your sin, past, present, future, was on the cross with Jesus. The power of darkness sit under the authority of the cross of Calvary and we defeat the enemies of darkness on the ground of the blood of the Lamb we read in Revelation. Death that so many of us have experience with, death has been defeated and swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is overcoming evil with good. It's that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ and you would be forgiven of all of your sin, not because you're good in your own righteousness, but because of Christ and his righteousness, his goodness. He paid it all for you. And by God's grace and mercy, he calls you to be a disciple who's being developed, but then ultimately who's being deployed to do the same thing 
to be deployed to overcome evil with good, to be deployed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are now, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. You implore other people to come to Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the way the church grows, is through his people. Jesus was dead and buried some 2,000 years ago. Then he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 of his followers. These followers who were his disciples, who were weak and scared at the arrest and prosecution of Jesus Christ, these disciples who were running for their lives when the authorities came to get Jesus, they are now emboldened by the risen Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim the name of Jesus even under threat of death. And those original disciples, all of them go to death or imprisonment for the name and sake of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And the gospel begins to spread. From Jerusalem, Thomas, tradition tells us, takes the gospel east into India where he would give his life for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul takes the gospel west and soon Christianity is being practiced in most of the city centers of the Roman Empire. Paul gives his life for Jesus, probably in Rome, and Christianity begins to spread so quickly that by the third century, Constantine, fourth century, Constantine has to recognize Christianity as a legitimate religion in the Roman Empire. Then in the sixth century, not only in the city, are there Christians? Now in the country, churches are popping up as people start to declare the truth and the good news that Jesus saves, the whole earth begins to hear of Jesus Christ. The gospel begins to go further. 300 years later, St. Patrick takes the gospel to Ireland. We pathetically celebrate that by dyeing the river green and drinking lots of beer. A few years later, St. Boniface takes the gospel to Germany. And then throughout the rest of Europe, the gospel is spread. By the 11th century, the gospel has penetrated north to Scandinavia. Met by strong pagan opposition, missionaries, monks, and priests make disciples of Jesus Christ, even under the threat of death. And the gospel spreads north. The 1500s saw the rise of the reformers, such as Martin Luther, Zwingli, John Calvin, their writings were widely publicized because 50 years earlier, Gutenberg had invented the printing press. The good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ came to the Americas with the explorers and then with the pilgrims. And then the Great Awakening happens in this country and across the pond in the 18th century. Men like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley are preaching to thousands upon thousands out in the open that they can have hope in Jesus Christ, that they can be saved. Though their sins be as scarlet, it can be made as wool. The gospel spread even through the ministry of Plano Bible Church when it was a Bible study that started back in 1971 at the home of Omar and Rose Sutherland, that village Bible church of Sugar Grove began to take shape. 
Our present site here, which we sit in today, was purchased in 1974. A metal building, now the gymnasium, a fellowship center was constructed in 1975. Some 30 plus years later, the complete building that we find ourselves in here today was finished. And then two campuses were added to proclaim the gospel out west in Shabana and continue the gospel work already started in Aurora. Two years ago, Campus Espanol started with the hopes of reaching thousands upon thousands of native Spanish speakers in Aurora with the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, directly and indirectly, we support 17 missionaries around the world as they are deployed with the good news. And we sit here this morning, and here's what Jesus says to me and to you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go. Will you go? Your backyard, your neighbor, another state, another country, for your life, will you go? Disciples deployed right here at our church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks today for your word and and thanks for the challenge that it is. And I just ask that you would forgive us for um, taking the gospel so lightly sometimes, Lord, that we would see what you've done for us and we would love it and accept it for us but not really care for others. God, I pray that we would be not only a disciple-making and developing church but a deploying church. Lord, this morning, right now, we take a moment to pray for all of our missionaries that we support all over the world, Lord, now. And I pray that you would put a burden on our heart to pray for them specifically in our homes, with our families, that we would pray for those who are on the front lines. God, and I know this is a front line right here. We live in the front lines. The, the world around us is, is, is threatening to conform us, but we want to be transformed. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us to transform us uh, for your glory. Lord, we pray that the work would continue here at our church and beyond. Lord, that you would raise up a new generation of disciples who can't wait to be deployed. That you would light us a fire under us, God. That we would see other examples down throughout history and say, I want to be a part of that. And that, Lord, you would lead us in that direction so we could be the the most use for you and your kingdom. And help us to agree even with Hudson Taylor that it can cost even our lives, but it's worth it. So Lord, we pray for that fire and that zeal to consume us, um, that as we are saved and as we are growing, we don't lose sight of the goal, and that's to go. So we take your command seriously, Lord, to go. So be with us, Lord, as we do go for your glory and for your fame throughout all the nations, we pray. Amen.